Tonight's going to be a lot of fun. My name is Sterling, and I will be preaching tonight, speaking to you guys tonight. And I want to say thank you so much for Pastor Kendall allowing me to speak. This is humbling, of course, to me. And, and thank you, Pastor Kyle and, and Pastor Tracy and all the rest of the, the leadership team. We have a lot of faithful people that serve this church. Tonight is part four of our series, Me to We. And um, I'm just going to share with you my heart tonight. To me, I... I haven't um, always known how to move and be better at being going from me to we. But it's an important thing, specifically connecting to other people. I'm kind of a shy person myself, always have been growing up, all that kind of stuff. But I've worked really hard at learning how to connect to other people. And it's been scary for me throughout my life. Not scary in a weak way, just scary in an I don't know how to tackle this kind of way. So tonight I'm believing for great things. And I'm believing that God really speaks to us about how to engage in community just a little bit more. But before we begin, let me go ahead and read a a passage of scripture and pray, and we'll make it happen. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You don't have to pull this up. We'll have more scriptures here in a minute. But it just says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for who you are. I'm grateful that you have given us comfort. And right now I just ask for anyone who needs a little bit of peace and comfort from you, that you will give that to them, that you will wash that over them, that you will take away the different stresses and struggles And make their burdens light tonight, just for a few moments as you speak to them at least, God, so that they can hear your word. I thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, in honor of back to school season this week, I want to tell you a little story. When I was in high school, one of the scariest days that you could ever possibly have for a shy person is lunch on the first day of school. And uh, does anyone else in here, any of the shy people in here feel that way? No, you're not going to say anything because you're shy. That makes sense. But for any outgoing people in this room, you're probably thinking lunch isn't scary. You guys are just lame. And you're right. But go with me for just one second. First day of school, in my high school, we had three class periods, three lunch periods. So I didn't know if my friends were going to be in that lunch or if the people that I didn't like were going to be in that lunch or worse. The people that I kind of knew but didn't want to sit with because you'd have to have those awkward moments and conversations with them. It's not that I wanted to be alone. I didn't want to, but I also didn't want to look lonely. And so because of that, lunch on the first day of school was always one of the scariest moments in my life. I think a lot of things as far as not knowing how to connect to people or not knowing what what God wants for you It's simply better and less frightening when you're able to do it with other people. Most things in life are like this. It's better with other people. So like parties. Parties are great without just yourself there. You know, it's kind of lame having a one-person party, but we do that a lot, uh, especially if you just, you know, bake yourself a cake or some popcorn. Uh, I don't know why you would bake popcorn, but anyways. And you eat, you know, some popcorn and watch Netflix. Have you ever put hot tamales in popcorn before? That's good. That's some good stuff. That is a one-person party. So that's, that's good. But also, instead of parties, things that are better with other people, haunted houses. Now, I'm a pastor. I've never been to a haunted house. Just kidding, I have. But haunted houses are way less scary if you have someone with you. You know what I'm saying? You, you can kind of scream and hold each other instead of just 
Okay, I'll move on. What about uh, funerals? I kind of got dark, but at the same time, funerals are better with people there uh, celebrating the life. Lost you guys, that's okay. And then the last just thought that I had with other people, it's better, is going to Disney World. It's kind of weird going to Disney World alone. Have you ever seen anyone alone at Disney World? That's kind of, did you know they don't let you ride a ride at Disney World alone except for in the back? They put you in the back and they won't let anyone sit next to you. Did you know that? It's probably because you'd bum everybody out in the picture that they're trying to sell them if you sat alone all over the whole. But there are a lot of things that are better in life together. And church is the same way. It's easy to have doubts and struggles about God, but it's, it's less intimidating. This, this sermon is for someone who has been at church for a long time and maybe haven't really ever felt like you've connected. This is also a sermon, this is just a, a message for someone that maybe isn't even here yet. It's only just watching online. This is a sermon for people who have been at church their whole lives, kind of like me, and sometimes we miss it. We miss what it means to not live life alone. It's intimidating to go to church and have doubts about God if you face it alone. I know a lot of other youth pastors at churches all across this great nation of Texas, and I know them because I have been one of them. I've never heard a single one of these youth pastors in my life say to me, you know, I really like being a youth pastor, but you know what I would love to do is be a small groups pastor. But guess who, guess who, when I was sitting out in the parking lot, well, I already let the cat out of the bag. When that person was sitting out in the parking lot before their interview, they were giddy and having to calm themselves down because they were so excited to interview for the pastor, the role of small group pastor. This guy right here, you know why? You know why I was so excited about this? It's because I have learned the value of genuine relationships. And I've also known what it's like not to have a lot of genuine relationships. I've learned a lot about people and I've studied them and I pay attention to them. I've always marveled at the people who could walk up to somebody and just talk to them confidently and start a conversation and by the end of it, they're friends. I never understood how they did that growing up. I've worked really hard to try to understand. I don't think that church should be a place, before we get into everything. Okay, that's kind of scattered. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this sermon, but I also know that God really wants to speak and I don't want to mess it up. So let me just say this. I'm really excited to be here tonight. I'm excited that I get to be on staff as a small group pastor, or discipleship, working on different things. But I don't believe that church should be a sit and listen to a lecture experience. I don't think that it's a one-way monologue. And I'm not asking for amens, though that was really good. I believe that church should be two-way communication, dialogue, conversations about the struggles that we face, the pain in our lives, and what we're going through with other people that are going through the same thing. And that's why I think, and tonight, I'm going to talk about small groups and why they're so important. Now, before I lose you, because I'm the small groups pastor and I'm obviously about to try to recruit you to small groups, hear me out. I promise. Just listen for just a few seconds. I recognize that small groups may not even be on your radar. You may not think of adding one more thing onto your plate as worth it in your life. You don't even maybe know the point of small groups. Why do we have that? It's just one more thing at church that we have. And I got to say, if I can be honest, I get it. 
it's hard to spend extra time with people. It's hard to, for me, step away from my three-year-old and my four-month-old, five-month-old baby who are really sweet. My five-month-old just smiles all day long. It's hard for me to step away from them and leave them on a night that I don't have to leave them to go somewhere else. I am an introvert. I'm not trying to label myself in a lot of ways. I've already said shy introvert. I'm not downgrading myself. I'm only saying these things to connect. Sometimes I know people look at pastors and go, they're just not like me. And that's why I said what I said last Wednesday. Sometimes I feel ridiculous saying it. I'm just, I'm just connecting for a second. And so I understand what it means to just ask for another night. And I get it. Honestly, I'm with you. And I'm really glad that you are here You have good reason to feel that way. For example, maybe you feel that way because you already have friends. You might be thinking, I don't need a small group. I have my people. Why do I have to be friends with people at church? Maybe some of you are even thinking, I don't even like Christians that much. Uh, My friends outside of church are more fun than them. Or maybe for you, you don't like some people. Often it feels like churches assume that if we just put people in the same room together, that they're all of a sudden gonna be friends. But let's just be honest. Sometimes people annoy people. And we're not always going to have everything in common. Maybe for you, you don't trust some people. Maybe with most people that you currently know, you're pretty sure that if you shared something deep and personal, they'd just make a joke about it. Or they would talk about it outside of the group. And it's not worth the risk of being vulnerable in your life. Or maybe you feel judged. Man, maybe you feel like your reputation or your past is not the best. Or maybe you're new to church and you don't know that much about Christianity or the Bible. Or maybe you're not even sure that what you think about religion is the way that it should be. You're not even sure if you do believe in this religion thing. And if you were really, really honest with yourself, you'd admit that you're maybe a little nervous to speak up about it. You wonder things like, what if I sound stupid talking to somebody about my faith? What if I don't know what I'm talking about? As a pastor, I think that too, in a lot of moments. No matter how much we say from this stage that it doesn't matter what you've done and you're always welcome in church and small groups, I get that it's difficult to truly believe that all the time. And then the last one is maybe you don't want to talk to people. You're just not much of a talker. Or maybe you don't feel like you go to church to connect with people, but you go to connect with God. You don't have to connect with people. And again, I totally get it. All of that, those are good, important reasons. But let me just say, I know there are a lot more too. Time, like I said, maybe bad group experiences in the past or you simply wonder, what's the point of a small group? It's just another church thing. Let me see if the next few minutes of scripture resonate with you as we talk about that. If you'd like to open up your Bibles tonight, you can, please do. Open up to Hebrews 10, verse 23, and we'll get there in just a moment. But first, let's take it back to the beginning of the Bible, the very, very beginning. Maybe you've heard of it. There's the first book of the Bible, the first chapter in the book of Genesis, And it starts with, in the beginning, God created, followed by a whole chapter listing all the things that God created and how God labeled and ranked each thing. So in that, he he said a few different things. So at the beginning, he said, uh, it says that God created light. And he looked at it and said, it's good, okay? And then he created more. He created the sky. And he looked at the sky and went, that's pretty good. I like that. I think of, uh, what's his name? Not not Danny DeVito. Uh, What's the guy's name? I can't think of it. He's like, mm, it's good, it's good. Um, I can't think of it. The land and its plants, it's good, it's good, you know? Okay, uh, and then the next, it's the sun and the moon, and that's good as well. And he's saying all these things, these are pretty big things, and then the animals in the ocean and the sky, and he said, that's good, I like that. 
and the animals on the land. That's good. But then he says something unique. And I'm not gonna camp here for long, but I wanted to bring it up because it's important. The next thing that God said was when God looked at his creation in human form, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, did you catch it? The first not good thing in creation was being alone. Now, what's my point with this scripture that obviously in most contexts is about marriage and having a spouse and all those things. The point is we are not wired to be alone. We are designed for connection. But you know about the need for connection already in your life. You don't need me to tell you that. You know what your friendships mean to you. You can tell that you're wired for connection by the way that you feel that weird kind of disappointment when you FaceTime a friend and they don't respond. That weird like, oh, that's a bummer. Or when something good happens to you and you immediately fire off that text to that one friend that loves to celebrate with you. You know how important your friendships are when something terrible or unexpected happens and you just need someone to talk to. It's easy to see in our everyday lives that we are wired for connection with other people. So why do small groups matter if you already have friends? It's really simple. I want to boil it down to one thing. This is my entire life recently and over the last decade as a youth pastor. Small groups matter because your spiritual growth matters. This is more than what you find in our everyday everyday worlds. It's more than just somebody to hang out with. This is secure, unfailing acceptance and connection with others. Let's take a look at that passage in Hebrews. Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25. Here we go. It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. I want to move this forward so I'm a little farther. I would be off the platform if I could with you guys. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. What promises? We can overcome the things of this world, that we have personal access to God through Christ, those kinds of things. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is talking to Jewish Christians who are facing execution and excommunication, which basically means exclusion from their community because of their belief in Jesus. This wasn't just saying, hey, if it's not too much to ask, could you just skip Netflix for a night and come hang out at small group? The writer of Hebrews is saying meeting together consistently is worth the risk of putting your life on the line. Why? Why would he say that? Because we know at least two things happen in this passage when we meet together. I hope this is for somebody. Lord, let this be for somebody. The first thing is hope happens when we meet together. Hope is being convinced that our future is better than our now. Without hope... (laughs) I plan to be a lot more excited and not crying in this part. Without hope, we can't end racism. Without hope for a better future, we can't rescue those that are abused. Without hope for any future, we can't see the end of of these struggles in our lives. And without hope, instead of finding a reason to fight for what's good, we let evil make itself at home in our worlds. If you don't have any hope that things are going to get better, maybe you've been in that season I know what that season is like. It's just, it's kind of darkness. There's not anything that's ever going to come out. You just don't feel like it's going to be good again. What happens? Start to spiral a little bit. Start to allow evil to let itself take root. 
But hope just isn't for the world. When we meet together, it reminds us there's hope in our own lives, that there are better days ahead. Hope that next week just might be better than this week. The second thing that happens when we meet together, Pastor Kyle, if you could bring me my water. Uh, Oh, there's one right here. I'll just drink this. I'm a mess. That's okay. Hey, I've really enjoyed this Wednesday night crowd. Uh, I like getting to know you guys a lot. You guys are really a a good group. And I want to meet more of you. So if you walk past me, uh, at least say, hey, I'm so-and-so. Nice to meet you. And you can walk off. Uh, But I just want to meet you. At the very least, I like conversation. I've learned to connect with people. I know I said I didn't, but... All right, the second thing that happens when we meet together is love and good deeds. We make each other better, stronger. Another writer says it this way, iron sharpens iron. And maybe the most important phrase in that whole passage is the idea of not giving up. The writer of Hebrews knew that it would be really tempting to skip the whole meeting together part of following Jesus. They knew that meeting together would require commitment and sacrifice. Here's what I'm getting at. This idea of community in Hebrews is more than just a group of friends. They weren't just watching football or making TikToks together. This was ride or die, literally. You know what ride or die means? It just means loyalty to the end. Literally ride or die when it comes to execution. These were the kinds of people who say, think about it, do you have people in your life that are like this? Say the real stuff to you and listen when the real stuff is said to them. Do you have people that love you enough to tell you what's real, even if you don't want to hear it? Do you have people that stick up for you when somebody talks bad about you or tries to hurt you? Do you have people that just simply encourage or cheer for you? This is bigger than hanging out. This is what we call community. But there's an interesting little kicker here too. The people who were meeting together in the original church, they were not all alike. Oh man, I love this. They weren't all friends before they came to the church. They didn't agree on every little thing. In fact, if you'll allow me to for just a moment, just a moment, I'd like to flip a switch and be a little extra real with you for just a second. Part of being a mature person is understanding. I say this humbly and in love as a a pastor, a, a young pastor who really is passionate about connecting to people. Part of being a mature person is understanding that you don't have to be like someone to love them. I don't like to be harsh, but I've seen a plague in churches and it's called exclusion. I had a student that that was one of our leaders and she painted a powerful word picture one day for me with one statement on this subject. She said that she would visit so many churches before us and always felt like a mouse without a hole. I thought that was a bit Tom and Jerry-ish, but I liked it. It made sense to me. Always felt like a mouse without a hole to go back to. Jesus dealt with the disciples on this a whole lot. But my favorite story about inclusion, the most important thing to me is who Jesus was, not who we are, not who pastors that have hurt us in the past or Christian leaders who should have known better, but who Jesus is. And my favorite Example of inclusion with Jesus is in Matthew 15, verse 21. It's not going to be up on the screen. I just kind of added it last minute. But it's amazing because Jesus and the disciples are 
They're kind of taking a little bit of rest and relaxation up up north, a little R&R. And a Canaanite woman and her sick daughter show up. Well, the disciples look at Jesus and they, they say, we're not supposed to interact with people like this. Our religion and our tradition, and he knew that. He was a rabbi. We're not supposed to send her away, Jesus. You do it. We don't want to do it, but send her away. This woman's screaming, crying out, pleading humbly for Jesus to pay attention to her. And Jesus just kind of looked at them and looked at her and said, if you want me to cast this person out, okay, I will. We'll cast her out like dogs, like trash, like you're saying that she is. And we'll just do what you say. But the best part about it, the weird thing is, he didn't tell her to leave. He waited. He was paying attention to what she would do too. This was a test for his disciples. They came up and he basically said, okay, you think she's trash? That's what you're telling me. Also worth noting, just a few chapters before, just kind of thought about this, Jesus was talking to James and John and they were saying, hey, we wanna be in the inner circle, Jesus. Can we be at your right and left hand when you go to heaven and sit next to you? And the other apostles and disciples were like, hey, what about us? And so there was this big fight and he's shaking his head, just mad at them. And then this happens later. And I'm sure Jesus is just fed up with these guys. And he goes, all right, you say she's a dog. We're not supposed to spend time with her. I'll cast her out. Is that what you want? Just treat her like trash, unclean. Dogs were unclean like pigs in that day. And the disciples were like, yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, he's going to do it. We're feeling pretty good. This is, we're upholding our standards. Good job. And so they're, they're, you know, happy. But also Jesus was testing the woman. And she knew who Jesus was. She knew what he was really about. Not his people, the people that he hung out with, not the Pharisees or the disciples. She knew who he was. And she said, (laughs) oh, I'm definitely going to cry tonight. She said, she said, master, she doesn't even know him. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. And she says, master, even a dog eats crumbs off the the table of the master sometimes, every once in a while. (laughs) And Jesus was so happy. He was so joyful. He praised her and said, because of your faith, I'm going to heal your daughter. And his disciples failed the test. They let their theology, their societal standards, their superiority complexes elevate themselves over and all of that stuff over someone else. And that's not who Jesus was. And so they failed. And she passed. And I'm sure he looked at them and just thought, you failed today. That's okay. There will be more soon. There will be more tests in your life. One day you'll get it right. And they did. Ultimately, they did. But she passed. And I think a lot of times in church, this is the the harsh thing that I was saying. And I'm only saying this because, I don't know. I don't think it's part of the perfect narrative of the sermon. But I'm saying it because as far as connecting to people goes, we often think that church is supposed to be somewhat exclusive, like there is an inner ring. But what happens is when you get into that inner ring, you find out there's always more inner rings. You're never going to be top of the top of the top of the top. 
It's, you're never going to be the most superior to everybody else. And Jesus rips all of that apart and says, this is your new way of doing this. We are to give grace to each other and care for them. Let me get back on my notes here. It's normal to fail. It's normal to be exclusive. It's normal to not be perfect. But to help us when we fail, we need others motivating and encouraging us towards love and good works. And let me again remind you and be honest, this is not a one-way communication. Church is not supposed to be a lecture experience, a monologue. It's a dialogue and a conversation. To get spiritual growth, this should be our reality. In other words, the bottom line of this message is, when it comes to small groups or relationships, you get out what you put in. I'm not normally this emotional, but that's okay. Your life, the quality of your life, and I'm, I mean this in a serious way. That's why I'm here on this platform holding this microphone my entire life. I believe that the quality of your life is better or worse depending on how you invest in relationships with other people in small groups. If you put in a lot, and you care, you're real, you're vulnerable, you're authentic, you're present, you're intentional, you are real. People will be that back with you. I've had student after student graduate and come back to me in the youth ministry and say, I took small groups for granted. We were seriously passionate about small groups. Amazing leaders, just like I've seen at this church too. And they've come back to me and said, I took it for granted. I didn't understand what I had. No one knows about my life now. No one cares about me like those leaders did, like those people did. The other students, high schoolers that were in their season of life, no one knows what I'm going through anymore. No one at my job even cares at all to ask me anything. Those small group leaders, they knew all of my memories, the toughest situations. They knew what was going on in my world graduate after graduate and they realized it afterwards we would try to push that but it's hard to recognize and I want you to recognize that tonight <laughs> I also had graduate after graduate come back and I could introduce you to them and they would say that small groups was a waste of an hour of their life <laughs> that they felt like everyone was fake there was no authenticity that it didn't affect them in their lives in any way. And that's why the bottom line for me is when it comes to relationships in your life. And even if it's not small groups, I've tried to explain it, but I'm not giving you a good, perfect definition of small groups. But even the relationships in your life, if you're not putting into those relationships, if you're not listening, caring, connecting, asking good questions, I do a lot of premarital counseling here. I've met with probably eight or nine different couples over the last four months, a few sessions each. I just do that kind of because I love it. And time and time again, and some of them are here, and I really love that. But time and time again, I hear a lot of conversations about he's telling me what to do or she's not listening to me. 
if you would just be patient with me. I'm not on the same page as him yet. We're engaged. We're 20 years old. They don't say that. I fill in that blank. As a 30-year-old, I have all the experience, guys. Um, All of it. Uh, (laughs) But it is, it's a a give and take, and you guys know that. That's that's not what I'm up here for. We were made for more than surface-level relationships. We were made for a relationship with God that we experience with other people in a very real way. The last thing I wanted to share with you tonight as I'm wrapping up is we can and you can alter your spiritual growth by altering the investment that you put into relationships, into small groups. With the leaders, there's a training and a lot of them have gone through that. And the training is about how to connect, provide care, cultivate relationships, and stay connected to God together. The point of small groups is not that you have a great leader who is always ahead of you and knows all the answers and all the questions. It's to provide an environment and a place where you can discuss your questions and doubts about God. That's it to go from surface level relationships like we often have in church where you're excluded, you're looked down upon because of your past, because of whatever, to go into a real relationship with God around others as they work towards good works and encouragement with you. If you would, stand with me. I want you to just imagine something. I want you to imagine something. Seriously, how different would your life look if you had a group of people who were always showing up for each other? What would your life look, how different would it look if you had a real and safe relationship with each other? If you knew people who were always honest and vulnerable, what would your life look like, look, life look like if you had people who knew the real you. I can answer that, it's powerful. You look at a teenager who doesn't have even a parent that cares about them. And they've got small group leaders, youth pastors. The sad thing is, is I know that translates into adulthood too. I mean, I'm not as wise as everybody in here but I know that. It translates. Not a lot of people know the real us. So what I'd like for you to do, just like I said at the beginning, if this isn't even on your radar, what I'd like for you to do is take a moment and meditate, which is a biblical term as well, on the things of God that he has shared tonight with you. What are you holding back from when it comes to relationships around you? What is your issue with connecting to the church? Do you have one? And sometimes it's really valid. I have been hurt by church leaders as well. I've had bad small group experiences where people don't make it a safe place and they go off and share. Why are you not wanting to connect though? And does God want you to connect with an environment where you consistently meet together instead of neglecting any time with other Christian believers and a leader who is there for you, with you, 
and gives up their life and time for you. And I want you to pray about that. Seriously, please. I believe there's great things in store. (laughs) I believe that you can have a different quality of life, that you can find hope, that you can be encouraged and work towards good things like never before, like never before. So let's pray and ask God. And I'm I'm gonna give it a moment and then I'm gonna pray and we'll sing. But just pray and ask God what he would like for you to do in this next season of your life. people are still praying in here, but I want to pray over them. God, I know that you have divine reasons for what it is that we hear, that as we hear your word and sing these songs, you are calling us forward. That's how you work. And God, I just pray that tonight for the people in here who won't admit it, who are broken, who need real relationships, even if they're the toughest person in here, even if they have all of the answers, it seems. God, I pray that you show them and show us and show me why you want us to spend time with other believers. God, I just pray that you reveal to them right now that we are all broken and we need support. That it is not a a failure, it's not weakness it is following you God I thank you so much for who you are and I just pray as we sing this song about how much you love us I pray that you also also show us that it's our responsibility to love other people around us and you're calling us forward into a new season of our lives I thank you so much for what you're doing in Jesus name we pray